Welcome back to the Sound Logic Podcast. We're really happy to have you with us. Today we are discussing album number 10, which is The Miseducation of Lauren Hill by, coincidentally, Lauren Hill. It's funny how money changes situation. And this was another one of those albums. Ben, when we it was coming up, we really wanted to have a guest. Yeah. And we really wanted to have a female guest. We didn't right. want two white guys talking about um, an, an album by a, by an African-American woman. So uh, I first reached out to uh, my friend Heather, who I knew really loved this album, went to see Lauren uh, back in the early 2000s. And she said, you know what? I'm not available my sister Rachel is a bigger fan than I am and you should reach out to her. So I reached out to Rachel and Rachel said, yeah, I'd love to do it. And my friend Susanna is a really big fan fan too. <laughs> so um, we have both Rachel and Susanna here and I want to say thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having us. Thank you so much for having us. And apologies yeah. that we are a couple of white chicks, but <laughs> <laughs> at least we're women. I, well, I was going to say something about that too. Like I think this album has transcended culture in a number of different ways. And so to have four white people from Canada, um, you know, not even the, uh, the album's origin, I think is significant because I think it, this album has such all four of us. And uh, mm-hmm. it'll be interesting to go into some of that, despite the fact that we are uh, none of us black nor American uh, by birth, at least. Absolutely. Uh, there's a great quotation before we start from from Lauren, and she told Rolling Stone uh, when they did a cover story in 1999, she said, music is about to change. I think now people feel a little more comfortable playing with their parameters, writing more intensely. And we've said as we started, of course, this is the 10th album on the new 2020 Rolling Stone list. They redid their 500 list, and we really feel that this is telling the story of the music of today and how we got to today and i think that that quotation really <laughs> really touches on it um so we'll leave that we'll just i'm just gonna leave that there for now and then we'll move we'll move along details 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 so this album was released august 25th 1998 it was lauren hill's first and only solo studio album although she had already already released two with the fujis um, she wrote all the tracks and a couple co-credits by a few other people, but they were all written by her. It charted very well. It went number one in U.S. and Canada. went number two in the U.K. However, it did go number one on the U.K. R&B album charts. And in 2013, so 15 years after it had been released, it reached 8 million copies sold in the U.S. and to date over 19 million worldwide. So really one of the greatest albums of all time. That's getting up into the legendary realm there. The album was very successful. Lauryn Hill was nominated uh, 10 times for the 1999 Grammy Awards, making her the first woman to ever be nominated that many times in one year. She won five of those for Best New Artist, Best R&B Song, Best Female R&B Vocal Performance, and Best R&B Album Categories. 
and the album won Grammy for Album of the Year, uh, which made it the first hip-hop album to ever get the award. And she set a new record in the industry as she became the first woman to win five Grammys in one night. So it was a big, big deal for her and a really big deal for, for hip-hop music. Well, that genre was already becoming big, but that kind of cemented it <laughs> as yeah. kind of the new, as, as we're right now, the most important genre right now. can't believe you didn't talk about new arc there. Do you want to talk about that later? What? <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> Written by. There's a lawsuit about whether or not she actually did all the writing. Oh, my gosh. Well, I kind of skimmed. I skimmed over that in my research. Do you want to talk about that? <laughs> well, I don't know. Do you want? I mean, we can talk about it later too. I, and I don't know. Um, it might be interesting to hear. Didn't she win the lawsuit? She settled out of court. She gave them five million dollars, which oh, geez, kind of makes it seem like they had a, a bit of a case. I missed this whole story. Who? Sorry. Who? Uh, <laughs> what? Right. Yeah. Like I band, saw it. Who's members. claiming? So, I guess I can just <laughs> you ben, can just throw this in know. wherever you feel like that. It <laughs> sure. Might. Okay. So, yes, uh, Lauren Hill is credited as the one who wrote this album, uh, pretty much on every single track. Um, but the way that this album uh, was created. Uh, at first at least, was sitting down in a small attic studio with some of her friends from New Jersey. Um, they called themselves the New Arc Artists, and she brought them in primarily because she was having significant conflict with her friends from the Fugees. Um, she didn't feel like she had the same sort of uh, band with her, or at least the potential to go and ask them to be a part of it. And so she brought in basically kids from her neighborhood who she knew had musical talent to sort of help her in the early stages to craft what evolved into this album. It was only sort of as they were going on, um, as the album was sort of being finalized, uh, when these artists sort of said, like, how, how are we being credited? And uh, they kind of got the cold shoulder. What it turns out was that, that uh, in, in Lauren Hill's mind, at least, it was her vision, it was her artistry, and so she was the one officially writing. And there was never any kind of a contract signed to say we are being brought in to help you write this album. And so even though these these artists were sort of seminal in creating this work of art, um, they're not credited at all on the album. And uh, in the years that followed, they brought a lawsuit that was in court for I think more than two years, and eventually um, Lauren decided it was just too much headache and she settled out of court. I think the figure that you can find out there is $5 million that she paid um, this group called the New Arc uh, Artists. And um, I think that says something about sort of their validity to have that story sort of hanging out there. It's definitely her album. I don't think anyone would argue that, and I don't think that they were arguing that. Um, it is her voice, it is her. Uh, creativity, but they just wanted to be included on the liner notes. Um, there's a bunch of references actually to Prince when you start going down this rabbit hole uh, because Prince would often just have um, all tracks written by Prince and he often worked with many other artists who <laughs> who helped him craft his songs and, and there's some sort of bad blood in that sort of world as well for like one singular figure claiming ownership over everything that goes into an album. 
Um, Interesting. So, yeah, I don't know if that changes anything for the conversation that we're going to have here tonight. It it certainly has been in the back of my mind as I've been reading through different, uh, you know, articles about this album. And even as I listen to the songs, I think about like, I wonder what would have resulted if it really was just Lauren pouring herself into this as opposed to starting it sort of collectively with this group of friends from New Jersey. Yeah, it's interesting. Songwriting in general is a very interesting thing as far as, um, you know, who owns what and getting your name on uh, your name on the track because, um, you know, obviously there are a lot of people who just write songs and you would never know them to see them or have ever heard of them. Uh, and all an artist really has to do is say, oh, what if instead of this word, you say this word and all of yeah. a sudden it can become their song and their name is on it. Right, so right. it's one of those things that I, I'm assuming that really only these people and Lauren know the full truth. Exactly. I don't think it really, I think I agree with you. I don't think it really changes anything. I think it's her album and um, you can't really that kind of authenticity I don't think that's right but uh, it is uh, kind of disappointing to have that sort of a little bit of a shadow it's a bit of a cloud yeah I think the dynamic too is that um, they helped to create a lot of the demos and so they're they're not featured on the final album you know it was it was Mm -hmm. other studio musicians Um, she transferred a lot of her recording time to Jamaica uh, later in the process, this album took like a year and a half to create. So it may have been that by the time the sort of final tracks were were put down in the studio, there was no, there was nothing left of these yeah. of these new arc artists. And so, mm-hmm. um, you know, perhaps that was a part of it. But they ended up getting a pile of money um, just to shut up about it. So there's something <laughs> there that uh, I don't know. Yeah, you're right, though, Suzanne. I think the only people that probably know the full story are. Are these artists and Lauren? Yeah, that's. Yeah. I, I'm always one to go the other way. Like if I were, if I had an album, you'd have like a, a folder of all the people who. Oh well, this person said <laughs> hi to me that day, so yeah. maybe that's the <laughs> Canadian. Poured my coffee the morning of that. Festival. Yeah, right. exactly. Right. Yeah, the coffee right. is what did it. <laughs> I, I don't know much about the uh, the tension between her former bandmates, but I wonder if it was important for her to, to stand alone for this project too. There are artists um, who are actually credited on some of the tracks as joining her, but I think it's often because they've got their own celebrity and their voices featured on the track where their artistry is prominently there, that it's clear, oh, Santana's playing the guitar on that track. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've got to credit him. But because it is this sort of breakthrough seminal, this is me standing up and, and sharing my story. I wonder if that became more important for her to say, I did it and it's mine, than um, had it been a band, had it been another Fuji's record or something like that. I was going to say, that's a very good point. I think that's probably true coming from Fuji's and this being such a big deal for her to do on her own and so young. Yeah. Um, I yeah. think that was probably that probably came into play. And like you said, who knows? By the end of it, maybe there was very little trace, but they did have enough for a lawsuit. And maybe they were, you know, enough validity on their end that they also had enough to win said lawsuit out of court. <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah, makes you wonder. You make a good point there, Suzanne, about her age. Uh, I think 22 when she made the album. Yeah. 22, 23, so very, very young. Very talented individual, very already successful um, before she made the album. Uh, so really impressive 
A um, couple more no notes here, and then we can move on. Um, so in 2015, it was included included in the Library of Congress in the National Recording Registry. We've seen that for a lot of albums, but a lot of older albums. This is a, a, a more recent one to be included there. There were three singles on uh, released. Doo-Wop, That Thing, X Factor, and Everything is Everything. Um, which is surprising because we have some of these huge albums that have like just like five, six, seven singles. They just keep releasing them and keep mm -hmm. milking it. Uh, only three for this one, although they're all very, very good. Um, and there are many special guests who are credited. There's, there's a, a ton of personnel on this album, but special guests including uh, Carlos Santana, Mary J. Blige, D'Angelo, uh, Julian Marley, and a guy uh, credited as John R. Stevens. Mm -hmm. um, and I, uh, Susanna, you know who that is, right? I do. John Legend. Yes. So, so he, this was uh, his first commercial appearance. Uh, he was yeah. 19. Uh, and he plays uh, piano on Everything is Everything. Yeah. Apparently, he plays the initial, um, that first iconic hook. The dun, 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 dun. Oh, no way. Yeah, that's him. <laughs> that's great. That's fantastic. I saw a quote from him that said something like, um, I was a superstar on my college campus because I played on Lauren Hill's album, which is sort of hilarious <laughs> now to think about a moment where people thought of John Legend as someone who played on someone else's thing and not <laughs> his own. Right. But, um, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of a cool story. It's like a friend of a friend said, oh, you should go in. Uh, Lauren Hill's working on her album, and he was like a student at the time. Yeah, he was a teenager. Yeah. Um, but obviously a very, very talented one. <laughs> and one thing we always like to talk about is the album cover art. And this is pretty. This is a pretty iconic album cover as well. I think it's one that, as soon as it came out, it's just kind of been around. I don't, I don't really know what to say about it. <laughs> it's so great. Yeah. Um, it is. It's so memorable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If you're listening and, and, and you're not familiar, Google it. Google Miss Education Lauren Hill album cover. Um, and it's that old wooden uh, desktop, the little slot for the pencil. But I, I don't know. I guess we're all about the same age. We probably sat at one of those at some point or if we went to a Pioneer Village maybe. But <laughs> with the, the, al the, the album name etched out in it with a with a portrait of lauren etched out i'm so embarrassed i it wasn't until this walkthrough that i realized it was a desktop i Me always either. i always oh, really but it was like a, an etching of her face in wood yeah me too I never noticed the pencil. Never made the connection with the name of the album and the pencil. It's also clear now. <laughs> I'm glad I'm not the only one. <laughs> That's so funny. My husband said the same thing today. He said, it's a desk? I'm like, yeah, it's a desk. <laughs> Look a little closer. <laughs> oh, man. I agree with you, Mike. It's iconic, but I wouldn't have said uh, apparently that I, I don't know exactly what's going on with the album. <laughs> I don't think I did realize at first I it wasn't just this week, but um, but I think I think for a while I didn't realize it was a desk. But but it's it's it, it is kind of subtle in that way. It's just kind of if you if you don't see it close up. Um, but yeah, really really cool. Ben, you directed us towards a website where you can insert your own face here. Yes. And as much as as you did that, and that was funny. <laughs> I, I feel a little weird about it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, um, in, in honor, I think, of the 20th anniversary of this album, um, the record label created this website 
uh, where you can go and upload a picture or use a webcam to take your picture and it'll it'll quickly show a representation of your face on there. And, uh, it is kind of funny and yeah, you're right, maybe kind of uh, insensitive to uh, a work of art to just sort of throw yourself in there. It feels a little bit like putting a face on the Mona Lisa or something like that. Like, should we be doing this? And, uh, I did not own this album. I'm assuming Rachel and Susanna, as our as our sort of experts here, you both owned a copy. Is that correct? Oh yes. I'm I'm surprised, given the length of this album, that it was just one disc. Is that correct, or was it a double CD? No, it was just one disc. It was just one disc, it but it was one hour, very long disc. Yeah. An hour and twenty minutes, which I think is a good forty minutes longer than most CDs are. Is that correct, or am I thinking? Aren't, aren't CDs usually under an hour, like 50? Yeah, usually, yeah, like yeah, 50, 55, 60. I think you're right. It's also got the um, the talking in between yeah. as well, the, the scenes, I guess, the thorough line. Right, yeah. I remember when this came out, and I think this is the first album we've reviewed, Ben, that I remember it coming out, because I don't, mm. really, rem- I don't really remember Nevermind coming out, I sort of, but... Um, this one so i i really want to hear uh from both of you rachel and Susanna, about when it, do you remember when it came out do you remember buying it uh rachel why don't why don't you go first tell us about but when it came out and and like did you go get it like the first day or was it like a little later uh, break I don't it down it was the first day because i don't know exactly when like i know the singles had come out and i was so excited about the singles yeah, and then right. i think the whole album wasn't released until a bit later um and I, I'm never good with specifics, but I went to HMV or Sam the Record Man, someplace at yep. the mall, and <laughs> got a copy of it. My sister had got a copy of it too, so we were really lucky to have two copies growing up in our house. And we <laughs> ended up keeping one in the car and one in the house. So awesome. we had Lauren everywhere we needed to go. <laughs> Just to set the steam, was it was it Markville Mall? I, know I think that. it was Markville Mall, okay, yeah. Okay, good. Yeah. That, and I think it was, was it HMB that was near the bay? Like when you yes. went down and uh-huh. across? Yeah, but exactly. Where it was. Yeah. Right. That's where I usually got most of my, my CDs. <laughs> I had a similar story. I, we loved the singles growing up, and obviously the videos were amazing. I'm sure we'll talk about those later. Mm-hmm. Uh, so very excited about the entire album coming out and then went and got that. I can't remember if I got it the first day or not either, but, um, and I don't know about how you guys consume music, but back with the CD days, um, you'd go home and I would listen to the entire thing in order, wouldn't skip ahead, right? beginning to end. And then depending if it was, you know, well, I really just bought this album for this one song and you would kind of find a couple more that you liked and and you'd just sort of rotate through those. But this was one of the few albums, I think I can count on, you know, definitely on one hand, the number of albums that I feel this way about, but really every single time I would just listen to it all the way through, all the way through. <laughs> there were no duds, so to speak, on this mm-hmm. album as far as songs go. And so I, like each and every song is just so, so special in its own way. And of course the, the singles are the singles because they're just, you know, iconic bangers, but <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah. I really like, I can remember just listening to this all the way through and going, oh yeah, this is, I'm going to just keep doing this. Yeah. I wonder sometimes about how some of the music we grew up that was really built for an album 
how it would do in this current era like in a world of sort of spotify listens um i don't spend much time listening to an album from track one until the end and i'm guessing that's the case for a lot of people uh but in re-listening to this this week i i like i couldn't listen to just a couple songs i i love this album as a whole and i i think i know what you're you're saying there savannah like it doesn't it doesn't feel like an album where you want to jump around. It feels like it was laid out in a very intentional way. And maybe the narrative of the classroom setting kind of helps that happen a little bit. But it feels it feels like it's not complete unless you're listening to all 16 tracks, <laughs> which is yeah, really, exactly. really interesting. And not something I don't think that people really strive for these days because we don't listen to music in the same way anymore. And I think once you have listened to an album so many times, like I know when at the end of one song, I already start singing the next one right. that's coming through. So yeah. if you hear it in a different order, then you're like, no, that's not right. That's, that's not what's supposed to follow there. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's so true. Yeah. If you hear it on, even if you hear it on the radio years later, you automatically go, okay. And then this song comes next. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. That's funny though how this is the perfect example for me and for Rachel about how music can take you back to an exact time in your life right. and you can um, feel it and you can smell it and you can, you know, just everything, in all of your senses. We referenced at the top that we are for white people. Um, and this is a, a, a black woman talking about the experience of growing up in the United States as a black woman. What was it that you think sort of drew you in? Was it the radio hits? Was it um, something about Lauren Hill's persona? Was it, you know, sometimes I think I'd buy an album just because the album cover looked cool. Uh, <laughs> what was it that you think sort of like grabbed you and, and made you want to listen to every track? Um, I think it's definitely just who Lauren is like as a person and how it comes out in her creativity and her music. Like this song or this album has like, like everything like it's combined with like soul and hip-hop and reggae and so you have like a little bit of everything yeah. um it was definitely the singles that drew me in like Susanna had mentioned the like the music videos kind of once you see her and like she's just one of those people who's very vibrant and mm-hmm. you just want to hear more and the lyrics in those songs were just so i don't know they're just like almost magical like you just get drawn in she has a very good ability to rap which not all female artists do and so I know for myself, like when I sing along, like I'm very excited that I can learn those words and try to rap along beside her. Yes. Like, I never do it properly, but it's, it's, yeah, she just, I think it's a very positive, positive feel. And I really liked all of the different genres that were mixed in there. Yeah, I think um, Rachel nailed it. I think at the time we were listening to so many different genres of music. And so when an album came out that A, had everything, B, this young woman could rap and sing. She's got an incredible voice. And she's just a powerhouse. And she's just got that, uh, well, I was going to say the X factor, but she's got the it factor. Uh Um, (laughs) And she's just... So yeah, she's so vibrant. She's full of life. The videos were so much fun. I was already a big Fuji's fan, but specifically a Lauren Hill Fuji's fan sort of thing. So what I liked about the Fuji's was mainly her, I have to say. Um, so I think that was what, yeah, the singles sort of drew us in. And then again, after listening to the album once over, I, I have to say, thinking back, and I haven't thought about this until now, I don't think that I was listening to each and every lyric about 
you know, growing up in in the New Jerusalem and and thinking, oh, I really identify with this very specific thing that she was saying. But I think the album as a whole has all these more like ideas that you can completely identify with, no matter who you are, um, where you grew up, or how old you were. So maybe not the specifics on every track, but the feelings as a whole. And she's got so much soul, and um, you know, as angsty teens. Totally identify with that. <laughs> There's an authenticity on this record that reminds me of the other female artist in the top ten. Mike, do you do you find many parallels here with Joni Mitchell's Blue? You know, I hadn't really thought about it, but uh, now that you say it, absolutely yes. Yeah. Uh, and and one of the things is how vulnerable both of these women are right. on these albums. It's mm-hmm. so transparent. It's so emotional. I know that my wife Nora said she's. She's hesitant to listen to Blue because it opens up a part of herself. It's so emotional. It's hard. And I know some people have said that about different albums. It's They kind of have to prepare to listen to it because it really opens mm-hmm. up. And I think that Lauren does that here where there's a few tracks that are so personal yeah. and so intense. And and I, do, I, do, I don't know if, if she was influenced by... Joni Mitchell at all? Yeah, I, I don't. Read, I, I haven't read that, so I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I don't know. I wouldn't say that. But the style in in many of the songs is very similar. That it's just so transparent, yeah. and and that can be that can either be really awkward yeah. or really really powerful. And here it's the latter, extremely powerful. So yeah, for sure. Well, and like Joni, I think she has done this incredible job to um, layer really deep lyrics over catchy music that you sometimes that sometimes tricks you into experiencing the depth of your lyrics um she's got like she's talking about her struggle while your head's sort of bopping along to the music right like in the same way joni sort of uses her like beautiful voice and music to sort of sell you on the song before you even realize that it's about the daughter that she had to give up for an adoption you know um and i think so so those parallels are there for me. I think the other thing that struck me this week as I was listening is I read an article that was talking about hip-hop at this time really was sort of the, uh, the one-upsmanship of the West Coast, East Coast um, sort of battle that was going on. And a lot of it was like flaunting excess and flaunting wealth. But that's still present in a lot of hip-hop today. But but I think hip-hop is, is much more than that. But anyway, they were saying that, that Lauren sort of broke through at the perfect time because her authenticity was so relatable in a way that that sort of like showmanship hip-hop was not. Like unless, right. you, unless you really knew what it was like to like have millions of dollars, you couldn't quite relate. It was, a, you know, listening to hip-hop was often a fantasy that you, were, that you were hoping for, whereas Lauren was speaking to people about real life and real lived experience. Um, and I think I think Joni does the same. I, I I find it so fascinating that these are the two um, female artists that we get in the top ten uh, list here. Because uh, even though their music sounds totally different, I think they share a lot of really uh, similar kinds of things in, in the way that they put these albums together. I think it's also an album where there is a song, not only a song for every person, but a song for every mood and yeah. everything you're going through. So. You know, if you're just in a good, if you're in a great mood and you just want to, you know, uh, blast that music in your parents' car, which Rachel and I did all the time, um, you know, you're going to play everything is everything or do up that thing. Um, but if you're at home and you're just, you know, kind of, uh, I don't know, 
waxing poetic or uh, you know there, there's just so many slower songs and just heart-wrenching songs that you are one song away from that yeah, definitely. This this album was at a time where I had um, broken up with my grade 11 first love at the time, and there's definitely those those these heartache songs on here. Just because I listened to the album so many times, they like I clearly don't have feelings for this person anymore. But you were just so <laughs> entrenched in the music and so entrenched in like what you thought was love and what you thought was a relationship, and how like Lauren was like singing exactly how I felt. Like it was, it's this weird. Yeah, just the weird comparison and how music music and lyrics can do that to you. They could just really play with your emotions even more. Yeah, and it's a testament to Lauren and her lyrics and her music that um, that the songs are so good that that person didn't ruin the songs for you, Rach. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I don't want to uh, over-glamorize where we grew up, but we grew up in a fairly safe, secure context. There were certainly issues... Absolutely. We were the area we grew up in, but it was fairly sheltered. Uh, Lauren is writing from a very different place. But I think I think that's where I see the most power here is that she is able to write both for the the kids growing up in Newark, New Jersey, where life is really tough. And somehow, you know, um, hours and hours away in southern Ontario, kids in sort of white suburbia or white rural farmland can listen to this yeah. and be like, oh, she's speaking to me as well. Like that, exactly. That, that's amazing. Yeah. And I think her um, going back to her authenticity, which we I think we've said that word many so many times, but it makes <laughs> sense because I think that might be the number one word to, to sort of wrap up who she is and I remember seeing her of course I would follow her like is she going to be on a talk show is she going to be on Saturday Night Live is she going to and every time she was a guest she was just um you know there's no BS like if she she is not a fake person what you see is what you get and some people you know complain about that and don't like that very much but you can't say that she's not real and that she's not authentically her own and um that I think was also very different at the time when you had so many cookie cutter um, pop machine, you know, created boy band, girl group kind of thing at the time. I think that that sort of really shone through. Yeah, you're right. Late 90s was quite an interesting music yeah. time. Spice <laughs> Girls, Backstreet yeah. Boys, all of those little, little bands. I look back at a lot of those and smile and kind of laugh and, and, some of it's really nostalgic even if it isn't really good but when i listen to this it's like yes it's nostalgic but it's also incredible like really good i'm not embarrassed at all to put this on if i put on if i put on wannabe by spice girls i'd be a little embarrassed um is that on this list I don't think so, but I'm, I, I'd still love it, <laughs> but, but I'm not embarrassed to put this on. Yeah, no, it really has. I think it's totally stood the test of time, this album. Yeah. yeah. Oh, for sure. Uh, one thing I noticed here, Lauren toured for this album, but like a year or two later. Uh, but you two, uh, you went to that show. Is that true? Yes. Yep. We went to Molson Molson Amphitheater show. Yes, we did. We were together, but we did have to. We were sitting separately because we couldn't get a whole bunch of seats together. Oh, right. And uh, Lauren's, uh, I guess it's her son. Yeah, son and husband. Her daughter were there. And daughter. Yeah, they were all sort of like we could see them. They were just off stage dancing along 
with mom and oh, wow. uh, I think she brought them on at one point and yeah. yeah it's funny to think of them as I guess they're in their 20s now <laughs> wow that's awesome. uh, amphitheater oh yeah that's uh, yeah every show at the amphitheater is awesome yeah yeah that's great so it would have been obviously in the summer nice weather great music yeah. hopefully this isn't jumping ahead either but i no, went no, to the ahead. 20th i guess it was the 20th anniversary concert when she toured again was it just last year or the year before and it was also at the newly named budweiser stage which will always be the molson Ooh. amphitheater to me yeah <laughs> um i don't yeah exactly i don't know if um you guys heard of any of the um press that was following her for that tour but she Notoriously, I mean, she's had some struggles, obviously, since this album came out, and um, she notoriously was showing up late or not at all for the tour, and so wow. people were, yeah, people were pretty upset, pretty mad. Um, at our show, she was, I want to say she was an hour and a half to two hours late going on. Yeah, and, um, and you know, people were understandably mad and upset and everything, but I I had read all the press and I just thought, this is part of the experience. <laughs> if I get 10 <laughs> minutes of Lauren, it's fine, you know? Like, I didn't spend $300 on this ticket. We're at Molson Amphitheater. It's fine. I just want to see Lauren in whatever capacity um, for as long as she wants to be here, which was not very long. And it was kind of funny because Molson has a very hard 11 p.m. stop no matter what because of noise in the city. And so she had only played a few songs and she finished with um, that thing. And the song started and I turned to my husband and I said, this sounds like it's a lot faster than, (laughs) than usual. And they had sped up the track so that she could finish it in time. So it was literally, it's been three weeks and she's been looking for your fans. And it was just, we're like, oh my gosh, this is almost impressive that she's able to do it even faster. <laughs> and then it was lights out and she was gone. Wow. That's an amazing story. That's interesting. <laughs> yeah. I think this is an album and these singles are ones that the videos really went well. And I don't just mean like, oh yeah, like it, it fit the music well, but I think they really propelled the popularity of the music. Uh, personally, in, especially my first couple of years of high school, I didn't, I didn't do a lot socially. I watched a ton of much music. Like for our American friends, that's that's just MTV in Canada. Back in the day when there were music videos, and and I remember this was I was still spending I think more time in the basement than than outside the house with friends, and I watched these videos a lot. The the video for that thing with the split screen, um, mm-hmm. that it is just. It is just tremendous. It's it's very well done. Uh, fits the music so well. The styles. What would you? What would the two of you say about about the videos in general or, or specifically? To me, the doo-wop video is the most uh, memorable and iconic. Um, she goes through the eras and she's uh, dressed up. I mean, the fashion was a huge part of it, and the style of that video. Uh, I agree with you completely. I think that the videos propelled and uh, were pretty perfect for the story of the album um the ones that i've seen anyway and uh, i'm right there with you we used to watch all the countdowns and didn't really matter i guess videos at the time they were kind of like songs you could just watch them again and again and again Mm -hmm. if you like them and and we did um but that to me that video has also stood the test of time and was just so yeah her her outfits were iconic and she just looked amazing and I think 
that video is one where like that video perfectly shows who Lauren is and her it factor, if you will. <laughs> Still kind of showing like even what it's talking about in the song, just that like women are still being kind of like sexualized even in the 60s and then even when you mm -hmm. look at the present day at that time the the outfits have changed and like society has changed but that still continues to be an issue that uh women continue to face so it's it's neat that even 20 years later from there it's still something we're making gains on pretty yeah and that's actually a really good point too because she made um a video about major social issues and human rights issues so accessible to people. Right. Yeah, that's still, you know, 20 years before the Me Too movement. I think one of the sort of chilling things, especially maybe more so with the black artists that have been on this uh, list so far that we've gone through on the podcast is that when an album is great, it ends up like having a longevity that continues to speak to culture. And there's something sort of amazing that an artist would be able to like create something that still has a prophetic voice 20, 40, 50 years later. But, but I think it also shows like how slow society can be to change. And it, and it's painful to watch a video like that thing and, and realize like, dang it, we are still struggling with what she is singing about mm -hmm. 20 years later. Right? Like that dynamic I think is, is, I don't know, we've got this this music and we've got these albums as kind of placeholders to remind us of how slow our culture, our society is to really like get a grip on some of its issues. I remember specifically with X Factor, I as a as a sixteen year old boy, X Factor wasn't for me at the time. And I remember actually changing the channel usually when it came on because it was just too slow for me. Um, a little embarrassed to say, <laughs> you know, she looks great and it shows off her style very well. And it's really just, it's just her mostly, mm -hmm. um, kind of show, it kind of showcases just more. I feel like that song's kind of been preserved for me because there was nothing for me at the time. <laughs> I didn't appreciate, I didn't appreciate it. Um, and, and now I listen to it again, kind of for the first time, cause I don't think I ever really listened to it and listen to it now can appreciate it for just what a tremendous song it is, uh, sampled for two different songs in 2018 and it's funny when we were listening to this i was listening to it the hook at the end and thought wait have i heard this somewhere and then mm -hmm. uh realizing that i heard it in a drake song uh, i don't i don't listen to drake very much but sometimes my uh my family has it on or hear it out somewhere and i went hold on a sec i've heard this somewhere <laughs> Actually, at the last concert, Lauren covered Drake covering her, which was kind of cool. <laughs> That's, funny. That's really funny. <laughs> Very meta. <laughs> I don't know if, if any of the three of you listened to Drake or if you if you heard that song come out and was because obviously X Factor and and the whole album is is important to you. Did you pick up on it right away and go, "Hey, wait a minute," or what, did you have a reaction to that, or you just, or do you not into Drake at all? I actually didn't realize. Like, I listened to the radio enough that I would, I do hear Drake, mm -hmm. um, but and I heard the song, and I didn't. I don't know. To me, it's not. Um, when I hear the song, I don't immediately go, "Oh, that's X Factor." Like, I think he he changed it enough that it didn't, for me anyway, it didn't immediately jump out to me. And then when okay. I, so I heard it maybe a couple of times, and then I heard that it was that he had sampled it oh yeah. yeah so maybe there was some 
because I actually did like the song, so maybe there was some familiarity there where that was what drew me to it. Right. It's it's super. It's sped up and pitched up. I I don't know. Sometimes I feel like it's a it's paying tribute when artists do that, and sometimes I feel like it's sort of plagiarism. But I know that he he said he's a he's a big fan. So mm-hmm. I think Lauren did that though in her like this whole album. We were just listening to um, some podcasts today and how like every single song she's actually pulling, she's layering stuff from Wu Tang. She's playing stuff from like the fifties and sixties doo wop mm-hmm. stuff, and it's like it's incredible how hip hop just does that. And like I think it is like they're paying homage to the people that they grew up to and quoting little lyrics here and there and then they add all their own stuff to it which just makes it even more genius i think the challenge is when you don't have the the musical knowledge or wisdom to appreciate it like i i what what album was it recently mike oh i think it was um the realization that uh coolio's uh gangsta's paradise is a a rip from from stevie wonder and like you know we, we listened to that song in the 90s having no clue at all. Whereas mm-hmm. I think if you grew up listening to Stevie when Coolio does that, you're like, oh, that's kind of cool. You're get, you know paying tribute to one of the greats. Mm-hmm. You know, so it, I, I think it depends a little bit on your innocence or ignorance or whatever you want to call it to to sort of appreciate what an artist might be doing when they're doing that. Uh, totally. not, ne- not, to, not necessarily plagiarizing, but to sort of like pay tribute, like you said, I think is... Um, it requires a certain uh, uh, knowledge or background that I don't think I always have even even now. <laughs> no, me too. I have to say I'm very guilty of that. I'll, there's so many times when I'll hear something and go, oh, okay, so that song yeah. that I, that hip hop song that I listened to is actually sampling this song. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I learned today and uh, Rachel, you and I were talking a little bit before we we hit record here in every ghetto every city she actually um not only uses the what do you call it, say the clavinet which is a a keyboard instrument yeah. uh as a tribute to stevie wonder because it was her mother's favorite uh mm-hmm. and also uh, has some lyrical references to uh to the song i wish which is from stevie wonder's iconic songs of the gay life album so she's you're right she's doing that and not just in that song you're right throughout the album but that was that was one and that's that song is just like uh, an autobiography and just something special for the people who grew up where she grew up i listen to that and even though i can't relate to the places or the stores or the activities i go yeah that's cool and it makes me think about looking back to where i grew up it's cool that how that can do that yeah that song made me ask my parents what a mongoose was (laughs) (laughs) awesome Uh, that one makes me think of of, thanks to our friend aaron shell makes me think of um naz's uh tupac tribute thugs mansion because that hook says every corner every city and it made me wonder if that's also some some kind of a nod to lauren hill i think that came out a few years later um Mm -hmm. but yeah it's all it's all kind of blended up in in the hip hop world, <laughs> these artists, yeah, they're kind of speaking to each other in their in mm-hmm. their songs. Mm-hmm. Some of it's coded or, or layered, or in a way that you can't always pick up on. I wondered if the looking back, looking back, looking back, uh, kind of makes me think of "Welcome Back, Welcome Back, Welcome Back" the, the oh, TV yeah. can't be sitcom. <laughs> Welcome Back, Cotter. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm sure that's not intentional. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? That's the cool thing about um, super smart lyricists 
yeah. and songwriters, right? They're just, and also who knows what's infiltrated people's psyches and subconsciousness. Yes. Yeah, there, there's so, and and this is common through hip hop, but, but Lauren, there's, there's so much allegory here. So many references to other things too. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, uh, you know, we, I started uh, listing all the, all the biblical references. <laughs> I found quite a lot. I will not go through them, uh, and I will not analyze them. Uh, but there, there's a lot. I, can, I counted 18, but there's more. Uh, a lot of uh, references to Islam, references to different historical uh, figures and places in Africa, historical places in, uh, in Ethiopia tied to Rastafarianism. Tons and tons of stuff in here. Uh, layered and layered and layered uh, and it's really cool and, and it allows you I think a great album is one that lets you listen to it casually on the surface and if you want to dive deep into it if you want to really research those lyrics and take more out of it you can and this this definitely does that you can do that yeah that's very true because I'm sure there were tons of people at the time who bought the album and listened to it or you know just wanted to hear the the singles and whatnot and and then sort of put it away and didn't really think about it again and just enjoyed it for what it was. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that either, right? We all consume music completely differently. And I'm sure I've done that with albums that mean so much to other people. Um, But yeah, no, this one was one that struck a chord for us for sure. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Wanted to talk a little bit about the the classroom interludes. So woven throughout the album is these, and this is common in in hip hop, uh, to have sketches between interludes between goes way back even to you know we listen to some James Brown, some live stuff with him. So in the soul era, there was interludes between, and the interludes on this album is this classroom setting, uh, where it's a conversation between students and a, and, a, and a teacher and educator uh, and listening to that um, little sound clip on the the, the website I can't remember the website been, but the kids 20 years the kids yeah. who recorded and some audio there so this was um, and reading about it this was in Lauren's home in her New Jersey home uh, in the living room they just some neighborhood kids they got them together and came in and, and just kind of had a candid conversation the teacher, the person playing the teacher is a guy named uh, Raz Baraka, who uh, was an educator. He had already, he did some spoken word. He had already recorded the the intro for the Fuji's album, The Score. And so she asked him to come back and, and play the role of, of the teacher and interact with these kids. So they recorded it. Currently, he is the mayor of Newark uh, <laughs> since wow. 2014. That's kind of cool. That's very cool. I had no idea. I actually didn't even think about at the time whether those were real people or actors. <laughs> yeah, they were they were real students, but not in a school. They were just sort of like shoulder tap to come and record. It, it is a really interesting story, and it adds such a powerful layer. It makes me want to take a class with 
who is now the mayor because <laughs> you can tell he like he loves what he's doing and he loves yeah. sort of drawing the best out of his students uh, you know this the album title the sort of the this is her sort of pouring her heart into something to have that sort of set with the backdrop of a classroom is just so brilliant i think in the sort of artistry of, of setting this album up i wonder if it was her idea or not i don't know it's a good question but like the miseducation of Lauren Hill is even still a like a play on the miseducation of the Negro. When I was reading up right. on it, yes. Today. Mm-hmm. So that was like a book from the 1930s, and just like how you don't—they're like not uh, these African American kids are not getting the best out of school, um, and they're just like constantly kind of mistreated. And mm-hmm. I have not read the book, so I don't know everything about it, but just how she has learned so much through her experiences. Um, and then she needs to kind of keep explaining everything from her real life through the album. There's a few people who've said that it was meant to be sort of self-depreciating, but that she she's done such an incredible job of mm-hmm. sort of laying her cards on the table that it is a it is an education. It's not a miseducation. Like this no, is this is something that's of value. And you know, I think in doing that, like drawing back to the the work that you're referencing. Um, was probably something that was important for her to do but uh i don't know this this could be the education of lauren hill and i think it would hold up just as well <laughs> i think so much of it speaks to the identity of of african-american youth and and empowering them even from the from the roll call at the beginning if you're if you're listening to that you're hearing the names mm-hmm. like these are not white american names right uh, these are they're they're african-american names muslim names uh, you're you're gonna. I think I think it's gonna speak to you if that's your if that's your culture, if that's your experience, and you're you're. This is for me. This yeah. is for mm-hmm. as much as we we did find things to relate to it as as again as Caucasian people from from Ontario. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it it wasn't, and and we've acknowledged this. It wasn't for us, no, even though we we relate to it. Um, it, but you you can speak to it, and just the conversation. Uh, I think it really speaks to not only her calling back to places that she's grown up in, but but just I I found that very powerful listening to it through this time. Just just the names at the beginning, kind of like setting the tone of who who this is for, who it's for, who it's mm-hmm. empowering. Also, her identifying there as well. This is what I came out of. This is what I was able to become, um, even through my quote miseducation. <laughs> um, here's here's yeah. how here's what you can do too. And here's how we can empower each other. Yeah. I can't imagine, um, you know, based on how it has made us feel, I can't imagine what it means to people who it's actually made for. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Right. Even hearing those, those kids who are now adults talk about their experience being in those sessions and then kind of the power of the music throughout the years. Um, listening to it and not realizing oh that was my what did i say that was that me but just how important the music is to them Mm -hmm. through the years and how candid they were they were just like yeah these kids just kind of telling it how they thought it was and it's all it's so true i love that and it it really gives some some levity you know some of them are tacked on to the end of a song that was pretty is you know a few different tracks that are intense and you get a bit of levity there it's a great balance um almost like again like like a like a play or an act where there's this balance between 
you know a little bit of levity from these kids whether it was humorous or just just the innocence of of that that youthful voice speaking just honestly it's very refreshing and uh, very balancing i think one of the uh people interviewed 20 years later said something like i said that yeah well, i was smart back then <laughs> and, uh, there's a couple of things like that that I, I think it's just so wonderful for them to have that as a um a time capsule of that moment must just be amazing mm-hmm. there's the other side of that too in that um 20 years of of life in a, a difficult um community can mean a lot of people have lost their lives and and one of the people interviewed references that in the 20 years since the album comes out he has come out he's lost you know hundreds of people to uh gang violence to street uh problems and again you know i i feel like i'm i'm saying this over and over but this this prophetic album from 1998 you know uh even though it made people sit up and take notice and and those of us who come from more privileged places loved it and appreciated it. It didn't necessarily change some of the dynamics that Lauren's singing about on this album. And we're still struggling with that right now. It, you know, we're, we're recording this episode just a week before the presidential election is set to take place here in the United States. And again, racism and injustice is on the ballot, essentially, in this country. Um, we still just can't quite find our way through so many of these things that she's that she's singing about and uh and it's painful i think to to have that reminder that this is just this is just ongoing um i wanted to bring that up because partially because that interview with the the students 20 years later is so powerful but also because of the way that this music has been remixed over the years um there's a a track out there that um someone pulled a hook from Nina Simone, the, um, the incredible seminal uh, black female artist who, who sung in the 50s about lynching trees in Mississippi. And they took one of her like really hauntingly beautiful refrains, set it next to the track Lost Ones, and then have Nina at the end saying, they're killing us, they're killing us. Uh, we keep losing too many people as the sort of fade out of the song. And I thought like, this is like, like takes uh, a pow- two powerful, powerful voices and like kind of creates this thing that's even more powerful than the sum of their parts um, in doing that. And, and it's beautiful and it's painful that that still needs to be said and still needs to be brought up. Uh, you know, an artist from the 50s, an artist from the 90s and made for today. You can say the album may not have changed things on its own, which I'm pretty sure... I doubt any album could do that, although I wish it could. You think about all the lives of the people who listened to it and who it meant everything to. Mm-hmm. You know, who knows what little changes, mm-hmm. that little ripple effect, butterfly effect, what um, what changes it has made Absolutely. Um, for, for the better. I think we do need to reference that there's a Doors song thrown into this album, which is just really, really something I did not uh, yeah. anticipate. Uh, yeah, in uh, in Superstar, uh, Come On Baby, Light My Fire. That's the oh, Doors yeah. song. Um, and, and, that, and that was intentional. Uh, I'm pretty yeah. sure I read that was intentional, right, Ben? Yeah, I think so. I actually didn't go digging too far. The Doors uh, self-titled album comes in at number 42 on that 2012 list. And, oh, right. uh, did not 
did not anticipate that it would show up here on the Warren Hill album. I was not as familiar as I think uh, the three of you were with this album when it came out. I know it was being played in the residence halls of my college campus, just like it was so many other places. Um, but that song in particular, I was like, whoa, that's a that's a really interesting pull. I assume that she's going to be pulling from lots of different places, but The Doors, that's a that's an interesting one. <laughs> well, and of course, there's the cover. Yes, there is a very clear uh, <laughs> tribute to another. Artist. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's a hidden track, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, which, yeah. Which I think we That's should also reference for, for people who might be younger listeners who have no idea what a <laughs> hidden track even is. <laughs> there, was, there was something so exciting about buying a CD, reading the tracks on the back, and then getting bonus music <laughs> when you got yeah. to the point where the track list was over and there was still more music playing. <laughs> Yeah, that's a good day. <laughs> if you're still confused, you know, it would say there's 14 tracks and then the 14th one, you know, would say, you know, four minutes or whatever, but then it, the track would keep going. And if you were paying attention, you'd see the counter on your on your CD player because the timer would keep yeah. going. It'd be nothing. <laughs> and then, you, you know, all of a sudden this excitement, oh, wait, there might be something, you know, you skip forward until you hear music and then there might be one or in this case, two more tracks. Uh, tucked in there <laughs> at the end of the of the final track so that yeah you don't really get that anymore in the digital age of music so oh, that was... come up with something exciting like that yeah <laughs> do really we know cool. much about why she's got a cover of um oh pretty baby on here can't take my eyes off you it's an awesome song and she does it really really well <laughs> yeah. not, a, not as good as ferris bueller though right no it wasn't ferris bueller <laughs> oh what was gosh. the what was the 90s movie that it was in Oh, oh um, things I hate about you. Ten, yes, ten things, which yeah. is, yeah, the Shakespeare. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Heath Ledger, not as good as the Heath Ledger version. <laughs> yeah, I, I haven't heard, um, I, I'm sure at the time I would have read every interview with Lauren, but I don't remember if there was a, a reason or a story behind it or if it was just a song that she really liked that she knew she could kill and uh, just decided to throw it on there as a little hidden gem for us. That song uh, actually got her a, a Grammy nomination. Oh, was that one? Oh, interesting. Best female pop vocal performance was for this song. I, I wonder if there was a licensing issue as to why it's a hidden track, although it must have been prominent enough for her to win an award or be nominated for an award. Yeah, yeah, very interesting. Well, I think if we if it goes back to what we were talking about before, where the album is sort of a perfect um, journey on its own with the sketches in between and um, the songs, maybe she just figured, oh, it's a, it's a cover, it means something to me, but yeah. it doesn't fit within the story of the album, so I'll sure. stick it in the end there. I, well, I, that. I forget where I'm, I read this, but I don't think she knew the song very well. There's an article that says she like had to go to the store and buy the original just to get the lyrics right. And then she, oh, and she really? was like, it was oh. very late in her pregnancy and she sort of recorded it in the middle of like morning sickness and stuff. And it was kind of like a last minute sort of throw together. I, I'm re- forgetting what the reason was for including it. I know I read it at some point this week, but... We do have a Spotify playlist of our favorite tracks from the albums we review, we've reviewed. Uh, so we'd love to have our guests pick a track. So uh, we would love if each of you would pick a track to go on our playlist. What would you pick? Lost Ones. Okay, so Lost Ones for Susanna. Rachel, what... Uh, I know it's hard to pick just it's one. It's hard to pick one. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh. 
I'd probably still go everything is everything. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, they've both been at it. If you want to listen, go to SoundLogic Podcast Favorites on Spotify and you can listen to all of the tracks. Now hundreds and hundreds of songs that we have dumped on that <laughs> list of music. We touched on this a bit already, but um, Susanna, if we could hear from you, uh, talk to us about the relevancy of this album. We always ask, okay, this song, this album's on this list. Um, and it's important, but is it still relevant today? We've established that we feel that it is, but but how how do you feel that it it really makes sense in today's world? I think um, it does on both sides. I think just the music itself. I think if these tracks were released today, they would still be big hits because mm-hmm. they've stood the test of time in that um, sense. But obviously the subject matter, as Rachel was uh, mentioning earlier, there's um, the sexism, there's, and sometimes it's overt and sometimes it just comes out in, um, you know, in just flashes or a line here or a video there. Um, Obviously racial tension, education and growing up and, you know, all of these things that unfortunately as we've said a few times are still hugely relevant today maybe more so than ever or at, at the very least being questioned and talked about more than ever not by the people experiencing it they've been trying to talk about it <laughs> so i think uh, i think everything that she touched on which was very personal to her and was what was going on when she was growing up and writing this album is still completely relevant uh, to this day. What about you, Rach? Yeah, I'd have to basically ditto what Susanna said, but um, yeah, I just, I think that her vulnerability and her ability to kind of touch on so many different themes throughout the album um, really just makes it um, so strong. And yeah, the music, it's its not going to be forgotten it's, it's definitely yeah. some a, a mix of all of these beautiful uh genres and i think yeah there's the one quote that she like i always it's almost like a mantra mantra that she's said is like um, develop a negative into a positive picture and it's one of those lines that like i think everyone were just to try to bring better positive change to the world than all of these little yeah all this that <laughs> makes society crappy would be yeah. so much better and i think that lauren brings that vulnerability and that that extra positive flair to some of these really tough situations well, well said if that makes very, sense very well said. <laughs> yes. very well said i think this is actually um uh, music because it is so uh connected to our <laughs> I think the prime years where we were focusing so much on on music um, this one is harder for me to to step back from and say like has it held up because I I think I still remember what it was like to hear this music for the first time which is totally unlike every other album that we have on this list um, because it is the most recent thing that we've tackled there's a Muddy Waters Anthology that came out in 2001, which is technically speaking more recent than this, but it features music from his career, which is way Doesn't count. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so for me, like I listen to this and I think, oh, that's late 90s. And it's hard for me yeah. to think like, 
you know, it, it would still be able to be relevant today because I can place myself immediately in that moment in time where I heard it the first right. time. Um, that's my only hang up. I, I agree with everything that you've said so far. I think you're you're absolutely right. And it, it'd be interesting to hear from someone who did not grow up with this album to hear them say and sort of confirm that for us. Um, Good point. <laughs> uh, to, to sort of say like, yeah, either... <laughs> you all are old now and, and you don't understand how dated this sounds or yeah, I'd still listen to that today. And maybe Mike, you need to get your kids on uh, and have them tell us uh, how, how dated it feels for them. <laughs> That's dangerous. <laughs> it's, it's relevancy is absolutely still, still. Yeah. Uh, there. No, no, I've played a bit and, and they're into it. They like it. Um, maybe not all oh, of it, but good. But they like it. Good. Um, I agree with Susanna. They're all bangers. Kids are into the bangers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and, and and finally, uh, so this is ranked number 10 on this new list, uh, a huge jump from where it was. Susanna, how do you feel about the number 10 ranking? Is that, you know, you're over the moon that it's that high? Should it be higher? Is it too high? What do you think? Man, tough question. <laughs> so much great music out there. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm, you know what? I'm thrilled that it is um, top ten. It absolutely deserves to be. I would have to take, gosh, I'd have to take a lot of time and a good hard look at everything else on there. <laughs> it, it's um, hard. Could, that should no be way. its own um, podcast uh, episode. <laughs> but uh, no, I, I'm thrilled that it it got the recognition. I'm thrilled that we're still talking about it and yeah. that it's on there at all. Um, to me, it's it's one of my top three favorite albums of all time in my life. Wow. Cool. So that's sort of personally, but I, I won't push that on others. <laughs> um, <laughs> so no, I'm just, I'm just happy that we're here talking about it all these years later. Yeah. Who would have thought? Well, I guess we would have thought. Rachel and I. <laughs> uh, I, I assume you would feel similar or, or correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, I think it definitely like it was, it wasn't even on the other um, top 500, right? It was there, uh, but not until it came in at number 314 um, okay. on the 2012. So, yeah, list. I think it definitely deserved. <laughs> yeah, within the within the top 10. Mm-hmm. We talked we talked a little bit when we discussed Purple Rain a couple episodes ago about um, the four uh, albums on the top 10 by Black artists, and now they kind of all occupy. They're all really good at telling the story in that given moment. Um, Marvin Gaye's What's Going On from the early 70s, Stevie Wonder's Songs in the Key of Life from later in that decade, uh, uh, Prince's Purple Rain from the 80s, and then Lauryn Hill at the late 90s. And and the way I think that the the list is being created for this 2020 list is like, here's, here's how we got to this place with music, and here's what is influencing today's music in a way that the last lists have been more like let's celebrate the late 60s and early 70s classic rock because that's the greatest um so that that bumped stuff like this way down because it wasn't the beatles or the rolling stones um i mean that's a generalization but i think a fairly accurate one i think it's Mm -hmm. good I like this list so much more and I love having this album here at number 10. I'm not sure that it will um, make my personal top 10, but I think it has more to do with my, um, it's still somewhat unfamiliar for me and, and 
going over it over the last few weeks to get ready for tonight has been an incredible gift. I'm so glad that we got a chance to to listen to it now instead of waiting for 300 more episodes to get to it and uh, and that we had two great guests with us at, at the same time. We always like to talk about if this artist has any more albums on the top 500 list. Lauren Hill doesn't because this was only her only solo album. However, many of the people featured on this album do have albums on this list. Uh, and of course, Lauren herself is on uh, the Fuji's album, The Score. D'Angelo has three albums on the list. Mary J. Blige has two. Um, Santana has one. And then producer Che Pope um, who produced on this album has produced for many who are on this list uh, Kanye West, Eminem, Mary J. Blige, Jay-Z so uh, we see although it's her only album solo album on this list the influence of the people with her here yeah. who, who went on to become very big artists and some who already were um, is throughout this list and I think another just testament to why this album has bumped up to number 10 I think that just about wraps it up. I want to thank you so much, both of you, Rachel and Susanna, for joining us. This has been an absolute gift uh, yeah. to share share this time with you. Uh, and I'm really fortunate that you could join us. All because of a trick trip to Markville Mall. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah, how many stories start that way? <laughs> thank you so much for having me. This has been so much fun. And um, honestly, it's made me go and listen to the album again, which... I'm always listening to a track here and there, but now I'm going to do what I used to do and listen to it front to back in its entirety. We really uh, are enjoying this new 2020 list. As you skim down, you know, we're, we're 10 albums in at this point. Um, if there's other stuff on the list that you'd like to come on again and talk with us about, we'd love to have either of you come back. Um, it'd be great. I'll be there. <laughs> oh, and I got to ask, Susanna, what are your two other favorite albums? You said there's three this is one of the three what are the other two <laughs> um good question um that's a lot of pressure i have to i need time to think <laughs> oh, about this I, when you said you said top three i thought yeah, you had that, that i already three. do know that well one <laughs> oh. of them so one of them is actually and rachel will probably know this too and it's funny because they're all around they all came out around the same time so obviously a very special time in my life where i associate music but one is the marshall mathers lp oh, okay. i'm an m fan that's on this and list. clearly we like driving around rapping. That's for sure. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, in, in Markham, the home of rap. The home of rap. <laughs> and um, another one that might not be my top three, but is another one that at the time and afterwards that I could listen to front to back was uh, Jagged Little Pill. Oh, oh, that was on the original list and then got bumped off the 2012 list and has made a reappearance now for the 2020 list. So, yeah. Both of those, you could come back as a guest. Awesome. <laughs> well, thank you so much, guys. So we want to thank you for listening. And what do we got coming up next time, Ben? Next time on the so Sound Logic podcast is one of our favorite uh, milestone markers. At the end of every 10 episodes, we do our own personal re-ranking. And this will be our first re-ranking of the top 10 albums on the 2020 list. You'll see where Mike and I would place these first 10 albums. And then following that, we'll be back uh, next time for album number 11 on Rolling Stone's top 500 albums list. Um, that's when we revisit Revolver by the Beatles. One of your favorites, Mike. We want to thank you again, Suzanne and Rachel. Thank you, Ben. And thank you, listeners, for joining us. We'll talk to you next time on the Sound Logic Podcast. 
If you like what you hear, subscribe on your favorite podcast app and write a review. Send us a message at our Facebook page, on Instagram, or through our SoundLogic Podcast Twitter feed. Thanks for listening.